All right, so we're going to be in the book of Philemon this evening. The book of Philemon, there in the pastoral epistles. Book of Philemon. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that your spirit would open up our hearts to hear what your spirit would have to say to us. Lord, that you would continue to change us into the image of your son. Lord, that you would prepare us for those good works, Lord, that you've planned for us to walk in. I just pray that um, we have a sweet time, Lord, sitting at your feet, hearing what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you had to give a top 10 list of most loved Bible verses, I would say Romans 8.28 would be high on that list. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And so this verse describes what is called God's providence in the believer's life. Providence, simply put, is God's power to work out his will in accordance with man's free choices. You see, God is able to work all things together for good. Now, all things are not good, right? We know in and of themselves there's evil out there in the world. Nor does God cause all things, but yet he is powerful enough to work all things together for good by his wisdom and his power. The good refers to ultimate good. It refers to the completion of God's perfect will in the believer's life. God's will is our sanctification, that is, for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what God's doing. God also wants us to walk in those good works that he has planned for us that we should walk in. So this is what God is doing through his providence in our life. Now, the book of Philemon gives us an example of how God worked out his will through providence in the life of a believer, the life of a family, and also the life of a church. Now, this book is a personal letter written by the Apostle Paul, to a man by name of Philemon. And Paul wrote this book while he was a prisoner in Rome. Philemon is a man who lived in the area of Colossae, that is the area of Asia Minor. And he was a wealthy person that owned slaves. One of those slaves was a man by the name of Onesimus who became a Christian through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And Paul writes this letter on behalf of this man named Onesimus. You see, what happened was when Onesimus was an unbeliever, that's when he was in Colossae under Philemon. And at some point, Onesimus decided to run away. And he probably even stole some items from Philemon's house, and he made his way to Rome. Over 1,200 miles, I'm told, was the distance between Rome and Colossae. And one modern-day travel source I, I, I consulted said that this journey would, on foot and by ferry would take over 292 hours. So Onesimus felt, hey, this is worth the journey, right? I'm going to head all the way to Rome because Rome was over a million people. It would be a great place to hide out, or it would be a good place to meet the Apostle Paul who's on house arrest. Okay? <laughs> Somehow, when Onesimus got to Rome, he crossed paths with the Apostle Paul. He heard the gospel, and he was saved. Onesimus began serving with those mentioned in verses 23 through 25. He began serving with Paul there in, in Paul's imprisonment. Now, at some point, the truth came out that Onesimus, you know, what he did in the past, that he left Colossae, and now he was in Rome. He had escaped from his master. Well, it just so happened that the apostle Paul actually knew Philemon. Philemon was actually the, a convert of Paul, 
He was a good friend, and he was a fellow worker in the truth. And it also just so happened that Paul was actually writing letters to the churches of his area. He was writing the letter of Philippians, Ephesians, and he was actually writing a letter to Colossians, the place where the church was that Philemon lived. He was one of the house churches of that area, Onesimus' old hometown. These letters were going to be carried by a man by the name of Tychicus to these churches. Now, Paul prayed about having Onesimus stay with him. Maybe he would stay in Rome. He would live out his new Christian faith with him. But God had different plans for him. You see, God's will was for him to send this once disobedient slave back with Tychicus to his former master as a humble Christian servant. Now, those of you that have been saved later in life, or maybe you were backslidden for a time and you repented, you know that it could be difficult to face those things that you once did, right? Face your old life as a new Christian. People are going to be watching you, right? People are going to be looking at you, but God would give him grace to come back. This will be tough for Onesimus, yes, but don't forget about those that he had wronged. You see, sin makes makes things awkward for everybody, right? So now Onesimus is going to come back, but what about those he wronged? What about those he stole from? What about Philemon? Now, what a surprise it must have been for the Colossians when Onesimus showed up that day with Tychicus carrying letters from the Apostle Paul. It's like, well, where'd this guy come from? He just showed up here, and now he's a Christian. The letter of Colossians was delivered to the pastor, And the pastor got up and read that letter, no doubt, on a Sunday. And listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. What? Onesimus? was to be seen as a faithful and beloved brother, a son in the faith of the Apostle Paul like Timothy was? You see, the one who had done wrong was forgiven, and now he was going to testify to the church what God was doing to the Apostle Paul. What a privilege. But it didn't stop there. Paul would also write another letter, the letter to Philemon, a personal letter. I believe it was probably even carried by Onesimus himself. We're not told, but I think it would be cool if it was. And Onesimus, when he got there, showed up, what are you doing here? This is from the Apostle Paul to you. I want you to read this. And he, he's reading it as Onesimus is standing there. Look what it says in verses 15 through 18. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If you then count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, Put that on my account. The word perhaps is an important word to use as we discuss God's providence. You see, the Bible does not teach what is known as meticulous determinism. It doesn't teach it. And meticulous determinism says that God causes everything, even evil and suffering. But that's not what Paul says here. He uses the word perhaps. So in other words, he doesn't claim to understand everything about God's providence in this situation. He only knows what the believers are to respond to because God was working for good and for his glory. You see, in the same way, we're not going to understand everything that God does in our life, why these circumstances happen or why these situations happen. We know that we have a good God, but we know that how we're to respond to those things in faith and trust in God. Deuteronomy 29.29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, 
But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. You see, the secret things belong to God. Why God allows certain things and, and, and you know, the mysteries of God's providence, that's with our good Father. But the things that are revealed, those are the things that we walk in as we trust God and walk in his word. And as we look at the book of Philemon this evening, we'll see four areas that God has revealed that he will work in our life as we trust him as he works in providence in both our lives, our family, and our church. And those four areas are, number one, our calling. Number two, our character. Number three, our conduct. Number four, our community. So first, in verses one through three, God's at work in our calling. Verse one, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Apia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So as was common for these first century letters, Paul began with addressing who the writer was and who the recipients are. The writer is the Apostle Paul, as we said. And in verse 19, we're told that he wrote it with his own hand. In some of his letters, he actually dictated the letter to a scribe, and they would write it as Paul was on the go. But Paul had some time on his hand. He was on house arrest. And so he had some time to write this with his own hand, but it shows that it was a very personal letter. It was a personal note that was written directly to Philemon. Now, we actually have the opportunity to read someone else's mail tonight, which is kind of interesting, right? If this isn't a leaked document, you know, like the Supreme Court, nor are we wrongfully reading someone else's email, like over their cubicle, like, I wonder what they're, what, you know, wonder what they're looking at. No, the Holy Spirit has given us this inspired letter so believers of every generation can apply the truth to our life. So we're, we're brought into this story so the Holy Spirit can teach us. Now, Paul didn't use his apostolic, apostolic title of apostle, but he reminded Philemon of his lot in the will of God. He reminds him that he was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul was a prisoner of Rome, but Paul didn't look at himself as a prisoner of Rome. He looked at himself as a pr prisoner of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was there in the will of God. He believed this is what God was working out in his life. Paul's going to ask Philemon and the church to do something that was difficult in the will of God. He was going to ask them to choose to put others before themselves. And Paul says, hey, I have the credentials to ask you to do this because I'm here as a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. Because I'm preaching the gospel, this is why I'm here. I'm, I'm here in the will of God as God is working out his will. Timothy is mentioned with Paul here. Timothy, our brother. Timothy was not a co-author. Nor was, he even, nor was he a prisoner. He was actually free, but yet he chose to surrender his freedom to serve God by serving Paul. So once again, this guy is living out his calling in this way as well. The recipients of the letter are Philemon, Paul's beloved and faithful friend, Aptia, who is believed to be the wife of Philemon, and a guy by the name of Archippus, who is probably the son and the pastor of this church that met in their home. You know, Epaphras is going to be mentioned. So uh, this guy, Archippus, was probably filling in for Epaphras while he's there. And Paul in Colossians 4.17 says, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. That was to Archippus himself. And so this guy was the pastor. And at that time, they didn't have public buildings that they could meet in like this with air conditioning, right? So they had to meet in homes. And those who were wealthy, they had homes that were large enough to support. You know, the folks came and they, and they met together and they had pastors and they ministered the word. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, as we know, is Paul's common greeting in his letters. 
Grace is God's unmerited favor, and peace is a result of grace. You see, because we've received God's grace, we can now have peace with God. We can have the peace of God. We can have the peace that passes understanding. You can't have peace until you know God's grace. These blessings come from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the fact that Jesus is mentioned with the Father as these blessings coming from him as well shows us that Paul believed that he was equal to the Father in his nature, attributes, and works. But as we talk about calling, it's interesting that while Jesus was equal to the Father, nevertheless, he humbled himself and submitted to the Father. He came to do the Father's will. He came to live for the Father. And the Spirit who inspired this letter isn't even mentioned. He's behind the scenes. He's the one who's drawn attention to the Father and to the Son. You see, so everyone in this letter here has a calling. Everyone in this letter has a purpose, whether it's Aphia to be a wife or Archippus to be a pastor or whether it's Paul to be a prisoner. Paul's life changed as a prisoner. He was an apostle who once traveled the world and planted churches, but now he's arrested in jail. God said, don't worry about that. I have a plan for this. He was ministering to the household of Caesar. He was writing letters, time that he didn't have before. Timothy is there with him, and another, another of, uh, men are mentioned there in verses 23 through 25. The members of the Trinity, they all have specific ministries that they do. The apostles, the associates of Paul, even the local believers in Colossae, everybody had a specific purpose or what we would call a calling in the plan of God. The question is, well, what is our calling in the plan of God? Well, where has God placed you? Where has God called you? And, and as we're going to see, where, ha, where God has called you, that's where he wants you to serve. That's where he's planted you. Now, God has given you a gift, and he wants you to use that gift in the area where he has placed you um, and called you. And all these folks, in just a variety of different ways, were all fulfilling those callings in the providence of God. Second, in verses 47, we see God's at work in our character. He says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your, faith, your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus, towards all the saints. And so Paul gives a shout out here. He gives thanks to God for Philemon. He says, I may, whenever I pray to God always, I'm always giving God thanks for you. Even while under house arrest, Paul was still others focused, right? Even as, you know, God was working out this plan in Paul's life, he was still others focused. There's no sign of jealousy or bitterness in Paul. But Paul was others-focused, and this came, no doubt, from his trust in God and from his understanding that God was going to work all things together for good. Now, Paul says in verse 5 that he didn't have to dig real deep to find something to be thankful for, for Philemon. He didn't say, man, I, I tried real hard. Oh, I found something I can actually be thankful for. No, this was something that came easy because Paul was hearing a number of good reports from people that came to him about Philemon. These good reports could have came from Epaphras, who's mentioned in verse 23. He was a Colossian pastor that was with Paul. Onesimus, a former employee of Philemon there, he could have testified, oh, yeah, I left because there are too many Jesus freaks in the house, right? But, you know, but he was testifying of, his, uh, of what Philemon was doing. And also, as verse 7 implies, some traveling ministers and, and preachers, as we saw in the book to 2 John. There was a lot of traveling believers in this time, and this guy Philemon was refreshing their hearts. He was showing practical hospitality and love, and he was ministering to them. And they came through and came to Paul, and they all gave the same testimony. You see, Philemon, his family, and the church that met in his house all received a five-star review of Christian character. 
You know, all of them gave this five-star review to him. And this character is summarized very simply as love, faith for Jesus and all the saints. You can't really, you know, that's a great review, right? Here we see that Jesus, actually in Matthew 22, tells us that you can summarize the entire Old Testament by loving God and loving others. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is a summary of Christian character. The apostle John in 1 John 3.23 said, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And so if you want a standard of Christian character, start by loving God through following Christ and loving others as yourself. And that is really the basis of Christian character. And that's a summary of what God was doing here in this man Philemon's life in the church that met in his house. Verse 6, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You see, Philemon's character was known and seen by all because he lived it out. Yes, he did good works, but those good works were out in community, right? In the public where, where he was ministering. He was ministering to believers. He was ministering to those outside the church. He was sharing his faith. He was preaching the word. He was showing practical love and hospitality. And Paul said, that's great, but I want you to continue to grow in it. I want you to be effective in it. And he tells him how he can be effective. The way that he would continue to be effective was that he would acknowledge every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So in other words, growing in your Christian character and ministry is directly linked to your understanding of what God has done for you. In his grace, in his mercy, in his love, in his forgiveness, it's by acknowledging or knowing every good thing which is in Christ Jesus. And this is a Paulism, right? When you read Ephesians, he's always talking about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, because he knows that as you acknowledge your position in Christ, it should affect the way that you are, your character, and you're going to live that out. If you've received it, you're going to live it. And so God's blessings and our understanding of them is directly linked to our character and our conduct as we walk with the Lord. Verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in your, in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So the testimony of Philemon also brought joy and comfort to Paul. The cares of the churches were on Paul's hearts. He was constantly thinking about these churches that he ministered to and planted. They weighed heavy on him. And so hearing this testimony of the fact that these believers were walking in truth, that they were growing, that they were actually refreshing the hearts of the saints, it gave Paul encouragement. It ministered to Paul. It, it made him rejoice because he knew that they were walking in Christian maturity. These guys were encouraging people practically through the word. They were practically ministering through hospitality. And this all blessed them. You see, character counts, and it is critical in God's providence. God is working in our life to build character. And God does this through his providence. He takes experiences, opportunities, failures, successes, tests, and even our trials. He's able to use all these things as tools in character construction. Oftentimes we think, what am I doing for God? But we need to remember, well, what is God doing in me? Oftentimes those times that maybe you go out and you minister and you bomb it. Hey, you know, sometimes the Lord allows that because he teaches a character through it, right? I mean, think about guys like Jeremiah and these different ministries. Wh whatever it might be, as you look back at your life, you see how God has shaped you 
to be the believer you are oftentimes through circumstances and and through situations. Now, I'm not saying God causes all them, right? Um, But nevertheless, God's able to use all those things to to make you the Christian and the believer that you are. So God, right, and right now is working, he, we're a construction project. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And God is, through his providence, crafting us into that image of Christ. Third, in verses 8 through 21, God's at work in our conduct. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. The word therefore shows us that Paul's appealing on the basis of Onesimus based on on Philemon's character here. You see, Paul said, hey, I can appeal because I know the character that you have that I just talked about in verses 4 through 7. You see, Paul wasn't buttering Philemon up. He wasn't flattering him to maybe slip this in, maybe to get his own way. No, Paul was encouraging him because he was in a say, hey, this is an opportunity for you to continue in this character that you have. This refreshing of hearts that you're doing, God's doing it, and I know that he will continue to do it, and here's another opportunity through his providence for you to do that. You see, because of Philemon's character and maturity in Christ, Paul didn't need to put on his apostolic hat and command him to do so. He said, I could if I wanted to. He had the right to command him as an apostle, but he said, because of your conduct and your maturity, I don't need to. All I need to do is appeal to you as in, in love as one who is Paul the aged. Love is a reference to their mutual love for one another and also their love for Christ. You see, Paul reminds Philemon of this Christian life that we live. In other words, he says, hey, this is what the Christian life's about. I am Paul the aged, and I'm in prison, Philemon. This is what it's about. We're in this thing together. This is what the Christian life is about. You see, Paul was only in his 60s at this time, but no doubt the years had taken a toll on him, right? Traveling, being beaten, being stoned. He's an aged man at this point, and yet this aged time in in which he's living is now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And so he's appealing to him on love's sake, on the love of the ministry, on love of, of the Lord. He says, hey, follow my example. He was to do the same as Paul was. Paul lived for others. He lived for God. And because of that, he sacrificed. And Philemon was to do the same. He was to put Onesimus before himself. Paul's appeals gives us an illustration of what it means to acknowledge the good things that we have in Christ. He gave us that exhortation. Hey, acknowledge every good thing that is in Christ Jesus. And as we're going to see, when I understand what Jesus has done for me, I then should live that out for others. The first one we see is 1 John 3.16. Since Christ has laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. Paul said, hey, Philemon, I'm Paul the age at this point. My life has been surrendered to the Lord, and I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and this is what the Christian life's about. It's to not live for myself, it's to live for others, because that's what Christ did, and we're to follow his example. We're to treat others as Jesus treats us. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. So Paul finally appeals officially now for Onesimus, who he calls his son in his faith. Uh, Onesimus came to Jesus through the ministry of Paul, and now he's serving with Paul there in his imprisonment. Now, it's interesting 
that the name Onesimus actually means profitable. But verse 11 says that when he was a non-believer, he was unprofitable. But now he's a believer, he's living up to his name. He's profitable for the work of the ministry. This is exactly like you and I, right? We were once an unbeliever, and we were unprofitable to God. We were slaves of sin and Satan. Our lives was surrendered to do the will of our flesh. But then we met Jesus, and the Lord changed us from unprofitable to profitable. He's delivered to us a talent like we read in Matthew 25. And we're going to have to give an account for that talent, the opportunities that God has given to us. And we're not to bury the talent, but we're to go and to multiply it for the effectiveness of the kingdom, that we could be profitable for our master while he is away and he's coming back for us. And so since God has given us so much, we should do the same for others. Since God has given us grace and does not hold our weaknesses against us or our past failures against us, then we're to be gracious with one another and we're to help others in the body of Christ be profitable in Jesus. And that's what Philemon was to do. Verse 12, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. And so Paul wanted Onesimus to stay with him in Rome. And he actually said that, hey, he can actually minister to me on your behalf, Philemon, on behalf of the church in Colossae. You see, the church of Colossae had received spiritual ministry from Paul, and so Paul had a right to receive physical support from the church. It's kind of what Paul teaches in his letters. And this physical support, Paul felt, could come from Onesimus. Hey, he's, he came from your guys' church. I can keep him with me, right? And it's, it's not wrong. But the more Paul thought about it, the more the Holy Spirit began to convict him and say, this is not my will. I want you to send him back. You see, so even the apostle here was surrendered to God's will and what was best for Onesimus and the church and for these believers. He didn't want to do this and make him do something out of compulsion. He wanted to minister by grace because it's the Holy Spirit who's the one who's accomplishing this work and not Paul. And so this totally changes what people in the world think about the apostles, like they were some you know, you know, hierarchy organization who was just demanding things. No, these guys were humble servants of Jesus. They were on the same level as us, but they recognized that they had calling from the Lord, and if they had to be bold at times, they were and used their apostolic authority. But nevertheless, they wanted the Lord to work out his will by his grace and by his Holy Spirit. And so this is what Paul's desire was for him. He wanted to send him back, right? But he wanted to, for, uh, you know, for Philemon to consent to it and allow him to have this good work and for, and for God to do a work. He didn't want Philemon to hold a grudge or, or treat Onesimus as a second-class Christian, but he was to treat Onesimus as he would Paul. I'm going to send him back, and I want you to treat him as you would me. How would you treat me? That's how I want you to treat him. Jesus tells us the same thing for our ministering to believers. We're told that if we serve others, we're actually serving Jesus. And in Matthew 25, we're told, as least as you did it to one of the, these, my brethren, you did it to me. So as we minister to others, whether we give them a cup of cold water or we do ministry, we're actually ministering to the Lord. And as Paul found out when he was on the road to Damascus, when people persecute Christians, they're actually, they're actually persecuting Christ himself. He said, hey, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And, and so, right, because we're linked with Jesus in this spiritual connection by our baptism into 
um, the body of Christ. Verse 15, for perhaps he departed for a little while for this purpose, that you may receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so Paul now appeals to God's providence in these verses. He says, perhaps, or maybe God allowed this. God was not the author of Onesimus's choice, nor did he cause him to depart and commit what was wrong. But God, in his wisdom and power, allowed this, and he was able to accomplish his goodwill through it. That's what he's saying. He's, hey, maybe he's coming back. Maybe God allowed this so that you would receive him back as a brother. The secret things belong to the Lord, but he was to respond in this situation as Onesimus was standing right in front of him as he was reading this letter, right? He was to respond quickly to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Once Onesimus came back, he would have a new heart, a new purpose. He would be a bondservant of Jesus Christ, not a person by hire. Verse 17, if you then count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention that you owe me even your own self besides. And so Paul was telling Philemon to receive Onesimus as he would receive Paul. He was to show the same care, hospitality, and love for him. Now, if there was a debt, maybe lapsed labor during this time, maybe he had to go out and hire some other servants. Maybe he even stole something. Paul said, hey, I want you to put that on my account. And I certify I will pay here. He says, I'm writing this in my own hand. You know, I'm good for this. Philemon. I want you to put this on my account. And if that wasn't enough, Paul reminds him there that he actually owed him his own life. He said, hey, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. I've laid down my life. I've brought you the gospel. You owe me your own self besides. And so Paul was saying, hey, this is something that you should do as a believer. Now, Paul here tells him to, remind, uh, to, to remember what Christ really has done for us. You see, these verses give us a human example of how Christ took our sin and we receive God's righteousness. It's called the doctrine of imputation. You see, the Bible teaches that when Adam sinned, you and I all received that condemnation from Adam, right? It, we all sinned in Adam. Yes, we're sinner by nature, right? But we're also, we have the sins of Adam imputed to us. Well, when Christ went to the cross, God took the sins of the world and placed them on Christ. He imputed those or reckoned those to Christ. He accounted it to him. He took our debt upon himself. He who had no debt was willing to come and take our debt. You see, love couldn't do it alone in the same way as love couldn't right the wrong of Philemon here and Onesimus. But love had to work its way out in action. And that's what God did. He sent his son who said, hey, I'm good for it. I'm going to take your debt, put it on my account. And as a result, we can receive God's righteousness when we believe the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When a believer forgives those who wrong them, they're imitating God, since we have been forgiven so much because God has taken our wrongs and placed them on his own son so we can receive his righteousness. So when a believer refuses to forgive, Jesus says, how can we expect to receive forgiveness from the Father? It, it, it doesn't line up, right? And so since we've been forgiven much, since we acknowledge every good thing in Christ, then we should also live that out in the same way. And, and no doubt Philemon was going to do this. Verse 20, yes, brother, 
Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord, having confidence in your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And so Philemon had brought refreshment to the believers, to all the saints. And now Paul said, I want you to continue to do that for me now by receiving Onesimus back. I'm going to pay for his debt. Don't worry. I got it covered. But receive him back as you would me. Now, there's a couple questions that we're left with from this epistle. Did Philemon forgive Onesimus? Well, I, I believe that the answer is obviously yes, because we have this book in Scripture as a true witness of this man's character, right? And so this book is in line with his character, so no doubt he did forgive Onesimus. The second question is, well, what did Onesimus' future look like now when he, come, when he came back? Does do even more than I ask imply forgiveness, but not just forgiveness, that he actually set Philemon free to go back and to minister to Paul? Paul said, I didn't want to do it by compulsion, but I want you to do it willingly. I want you to forgive him. So does this imply that he actually sent him back? Does this only refer to his treatment of, Phil or, uh, of Onesimus and that Onesimus came back and now he was serving Philemon in this new, um, in, in this new way? in his old job as a slave, but now with a new heart, with a new motive. Now, we're not told either, and either one would have been biblical. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 20-22. He says, Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who called... Or for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. So if, if Onesimus was set free by Philemon, he was to serve Christ as his bondservant. So your life's not your own now. You're free now to go out and serve in this new way. If Onesimus was to stay and serve Philemon, he was to do so in a new way that Paul would write about in Colossians chapter 3, through chapter 4. He actually gave instruction to Christian masters and to Christian slaves. And that instruction was that they are equal in their person and they're equal in their position in God's eyes. There was no difference or hierarchy system in God's eyes. Everybody's equal in his sight. They're all believers in Christ. But yet in their occupation and their vocations, they had specific roles. And so that was what Paul is addressing here. Now here's another question. Does the New Testament condone slavery? While the New Testament apostles do not focus on the institution of slavery, but the salvation and sanctification of those who are slaves and masters. They address the situation of when they begin, these people that are being saved as slaves, these people that are being sa are saved as masters. It's focusing on you know, their sanctification and their salvation. The focus of the apostles was not to reconstruct or reform Roman society. It was to preach regeneration in light of Christ's imminent coming, and the kingdom age would be what is going to transform the world. So because the gospel needs to go forth, because Christ's coming is imminent, they preach the gospel and they say, hey, remain where you're called because you're going to get saved, and I want you to go preach to the other people where you're called. That's what you need to focus on right now. It's the gospel. Calling for rebellion against Rome would have hindered the preaching of the gospel. Calling for the release of all slaves would have not been effective because they had nowhere to go except back into slavery or maybe even an unbelieving master because they had no finances. Believing slaves were to preach to unbelieving slaves and they were to serve where they were called. 
Will McDonald also gives us another important note. Forcible revolution is not the Bible's way to correct social evils. The cause of man's inhumanity lies in his own fallen nature. The gospel attacks the root cause and offers a new creation in Christ Jesus. You see, as the Lord tarried, God, through his providence, transformed the lives of people in the Roman Empire. God transformed the life of people in our own nation, and God, through his providence, has used believers to overturn things like slavery. You see, so just because God didn't do it at that time didn't mean that he wasn't going to do it at all or that he condoned it. The focus, the higher priority was the gospel. And as God changes lives, then God will change society around him. So God worked from the inside out, not from the outside in. Righteous laws are good because our God is a righteous moral lawgiver, right? So laws are good. We should establish righteous laws. But more important are transformed hearts because it gives people a desire to make those righteous laws and it gives people the ability to obey those moral laws. We can go and establish laws all day long, but if everybody's an unbeliever, they don't want to obey them. They, they find corners around them and cut them. So the real focus was the gospel because that is how lives are changed and that is how moral laws are established. And so the Bible's not condoning it. It's showing a higher priority, which was the gospel. And God, through his providence over time, would overthrow this system as he has throughout history where the gospel is gone. Fourth, in verses 22 to 25, God's at work in our community. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus greets you, as do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The church is a community of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Every church website usually has that. A community of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, there's the universal church, right, everywhere, but God has local churches made up of individual believers like you and I, just like the one in Colossae or the one that met there in Rome. And we as believers are to serve in that local church where God has placed us. How do we serve? Well, we use the backgrounds and the resources that we have for the furtherance of the gospel. You see, Philemon was a wealthy believer, and because of that, he was able to use his home and his means to have a guest room for Paul when he traveled. But also you had people in the church like Onesimus who had nothing. They were to give their time and their service and what they had. And so God uses people from all different backgrounds. Money is not evil. The love of money, right, is the root of evil. But nevertheless, we use what the Lord has provided through his providence for the furtherance of the gospels, for the ministry. Second, God also uses different people with personalities and different gifts. There's Epaphras of Colossae. There's Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. There's Aristarchus of Thessalonica. There's Luke, the beloved physician. He was a doctor, and he wrote the gospel of Luke. And then there's this guy, Demas, there that's with them as well. God placed all these unique believers in this community to be able to minister to Paul and to get, and get the gospel out. And God has done the same thing with us. He's taken a number of different types of people, but each one of us has our own specific purpose in the body, the hand, the foot, the eye, right? And it's all for the function of the body so we can grow and be able to minister one to another. There's one more exhortation we have here. Sadly, Demas, we're told in 2 Timothy 4.10, forsook Paul later on, and we're told that he loved this present world. And so, yes, as we're ministering one to another in the body, we need to make sure, as Hebrews says, we exhort one another while it's called today. We exhort one another. We still have a flesh. We still have an enemy. There's the world. 
But yet we need to continue to pray for others and continue to minister to others that they would continue to press forward and not fall back into the world or the trap of sin or to minister to those who are weak, right? And those who are overtaken and trespassed, Paul said, go out and restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. This is the work of the healthy body, attacking infection and doing the work of the ministry. Verse 25, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. God supplies the power and the grace to walk in his will. God will call Paul to do some difficult stuff in his providence. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul could rejoice in it. In the same way for you and I, Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So yes, God has put us in these situations where he's going to shape us and mold us. But don't forget that it's the grace of God that's in us. It's God's power working through us that is going to assist us and help us to, to grow in this way. So in closing, God through his providence is at work in your life, in your family, in our church. And he's at work to do all things, to work all things together for good. Our response is to trust God, walk by faith, and to respond to his grace so he can affect our calling, our character, our conduct, and our community. Amen?